There it goes, deep into center field, way, way back goes Matty Alou, and that ball is in Astro orbit. And the little dynamo, the toy cannon, now has 76 runs batted into the year. What a shot. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of Toy Cannon Cannon. I'm Vic Raghupathy. I'm Jacob Wessels, and today we have a very special guest. We are joined by perhaps the podcast's number one fan, and my granddad, Gary Lightman. Well, it's a pleasure and an extreme honor to be on your podcast. I uh, would like to believe, and I think I am, your number one fan. Out in Anaheim's beautiful new $24 million stadium, completed only last year, is in a gay holiday mood. Richie Allen, who hit 40 homers last year, leads off the National League second inning. Dean Chance now faces the dangerous Philly slugger with the count one and one. He fires a breaking pitch, but Allen connects solidly, and there it goes. It's way, way back. It's a home run. A 400-footer that sails into the bleachers in deep right center. Now, that pitch was in a perfect spot, low and outside, and it's a tribute to Allen's great strength that he could slam a pitch like that such a tremendous distance. It's the first run of the game. I got a text from Jacob asking me who should be canonized, and one of the things that I love about your show is when you canonize players that maybe never really uh, had the name, the, 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 you know, the big uh, uh, headlines, whatever. But there was a player that played for the Phillies. He had a 15-year major league career, played nine years with the Phillies, that personally, absolutely, in my opinion, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And he... Uh, has never made it. He came close, but he still never made it. And I would like to see Richie Allen or Dick Allen, whichever you prefer, canonized. At least he could have that honor. He's still living. So maybe he will tune into the show and uh, hear that he has been canonized. I think he is one of the most, you know, prolific hitters of his era. And I think people don't give him that kind of respect. We've talked on this show before kind of about how the early 70s, you know, late 60s have, were really kind of a dead spot for offense and, and how offense really tapered off. And I mean, he was putting up like 900, even over a thousand OPSs in that era. You know, that's like, you know, just on uncanny kind of production. Well, he had uh, uh, almost a 300 uh, lifetime batting average. Uh, he had uh, just a shade less than 400 home runs. Uh, and one of the more interesting stories that uh, you want to talk about baseball history, on September 6, 1976, do you guys, I don't know if you guys remember where you were, <laughs> but I know where I was. I was sitting in Shea Stadium. Because that year, the Phillies had a, believe it or not, a 15-and-a-half game lead over the second-place Pittsburgh Pirates. And I'm feeling like life is good. We're making the playoffs. And then the Phillies had an eight-game losing streak. And uh, it was ugly. And everybody was in a panic mode over this huge losing streak and and you know, what terrible things were going to happen. And uh, the Phillies were playing the Mets. And I went to the game because uh, a friend of mine and I had never seen the Phillies lose 
when we went to the game in person. So we figured we got to drive to New York and be there for the Phillies in this game. Jacob knows my, my best friend, Larry Christensen, who was the starting pitcher in that game. And in the first inning, and I'm going to get to Richie Allen in a moment because it's part of the story. In the first inning, the Mets got three consecutive singles. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, there's the bases are loaded now. This is terrible. But make a long story short, they get out of the inning uh, with only giving up one run. So it's now one to nothing Mets. And Larry eventually gets up to bat and he broke his bat. And when pitchers travel, they don't take a lot of bats for the pitchers. I mean, they're, they're not expected to be able to worry about their bats. So he didn't have another bat. So he went to Richie Allen and he said, hey, can I borrow your bat? And Allen said, if you can swing it, you can use it because Richie Allen used a 42-ounce bat, which was crazy back then. Nobody used a 42-ounce bat. Larry took the... I don't think we ever used a 42-ounce bat. No. Yeah, we've talked about some big bats, What Alfonso Soriano and and some others on this podcast. That's easily, easily the the biggest piece. Oh, yeah. So Larry gets up with the 42-ounce bat and hits a home run. And uh, the game ended 3-1 to Phillies. Larry hit two home runs with Richie Allen's bat and broke the losing streak, and the Phillies went on into the playoffs that year. So uh, I always thought that was a great story, and I was there for it. And what a magic bat that was. Yes, it was. Because Mr. Allen had a prolific MLB career swinging. He had a great MLB career as a player, but the problem was he was truly despised in Philadelphia. He was booed all the time. And I don't know if you guys know about it, but it was funny because uh, you talk about the old pirates. Willie Stargell had a very famous quote about Richie Allen. And what he said was, he said, I now know why uh, the Phillies fans booed uh, Richie Allen all the time. And he said, because when he hit a home run, there was never a souvenir. Because when he hit one, it went out of the stadium. <laughs> nobody, nobody hit balls as far as, as Allen did. He has records at back at the old Connie Mack Stadium. Uh, he had four home runs that actually left the entire stadium. Wow. I mean, wow. just unbelievable. But yeah. I, I mean, this is just the problem of playing baseball in this time period. I just think people you know, have less of a respect for these kind of counting stats because he'd be hitting 30 home runs a year, but – that now would be like league leading. Now 30 home runs is like yeah, good point. Sure. Lots of guys hit 30 home runs. So you look at his, you know, his baseball reference page, and it doesn't really jump off to you. But the one number that really does jump off the page to me is the 156 career OPS plus, because that's adjusted for era and for competition. Yeah. And 156 OPS plus puts him 19th all time into a tie with Willie Mays and Frank Thomas. So wow. how about that kind of competition? I mean, those are two inner, inner circle Hall of Famers. And sure, Willie Mays played for much longer. He played a primary defensive position in center field. But Frank Thomas is like a fairly good cop for, for, for Dick Allen, you know, yeah. in terms of what they were able to do. Like you're talking about the best era for pitching ever post the dead ball era. And just like our man, Jimmy Wynn, he's posting 
ungodly OPS numbers. You know, two seasons above a thousand. You're talking about three, four seasons with an OPS plus above 170, including he almost cracked 200 in 72. Um, I actually story heard a story about, uh, or read a story about Dick Allen recently in the Inquirer, um, talking about his Veterans Committee Hall of Fame candidacy, and speaking of. Uh, Dick Allen in 1976 when he is sort of like the the elder statesman of that Phillies team of like a, a Phillies team that's about to be really really good and go to a few straight National League Championship Series and eventually win a couple pennants in a World Series and Dick Allen sort of the elder statesman there. I read a story uh, where Mike Schmidt was kind of struggling in um, in April and he wasn't having any fun. He was being very, very serious. And he, and the game was just, he was just not letting the game come to him. And Dick Allen pulls him aside and sees that he's not relaxed. And he says, um, all right, Mike, let's you and I just concentrate on, on having fun today. And immediately the Phillies went down 12, one, or something like some crazy number that they had to come back. Was that the game in Chicago when the yeah. Phillies came? Yeah. I'll, I, I remember where I was with that game too. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, you know, exactly what happened. Where were you for that yeah. game? I was driving in my car, uh, heading, I think probably uh, down to Philly for some reason and listening to it. And I just couldn't believe what was going on. That's the game that Schmidt hit four home runs. Yep. And he had definitely had a lot of fun that game. And a big big reason for that was Dick Allen was the guy to pull him aside and just be like, you know, slow your roll a little bit. And I think the Phillies came back from that in that game, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They won the game. Yeah, it was incredible. So I think if we're going to, you know, talk about, about maybe why Dick Allen hasn't had the same, you know, support even from the baseball writers, from the veterans committee more recently is just that his, like his, his, you know, counting stats aren't that high because he didn't play for that long, right? So he he really fifteen only, years, fifteen years is a pretty big career. Well, isn't fifteen it? years is a big career, but 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 the last two years of his career, he was basically just a part-time player, and the first yeah. year of his career, he played ten games. So you're really yeah. looking at eleven years, right? Yeah, well, oh, that's true. You're right. So, so when you look at eleven years, even if he's you know he's producing the same way, he's he's just crushing the ball. He only winds up with 351 career home runs. I mean, if someone does what he does over an 18 year career, they're in the 500 home run club easily. You know, if, I mean, if you take his 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 age 22 to age you know 32 seasons, that doesn't look unlike what Hank Aaron was doing. I mean, it's kind of almost a carbon copy of of kind of the consistency year in year out, mid 30s home runs, that kind of stuff. But I think it's just the length and the inability to kind of put those kind of numbers together. But given the fact that his career wasn't that long, it's astounding that he put up almost 60 career wins above replacements. I mean, he had a nine-war rookie year. That's got to be one of the greatest rookie seasons ever. I'm trying to remember how many uh, all-star teams he made. There were a lot. of all- He was rookie of the year his first year. And, Gary, I'm sure you remember that Phillies team that he started his career on. Speaking of – you know, avoiding a collapse in his last year with the Phillies. I, I'm sure yeah. you've got sour memories of that 64 team. I will never forget it. In fact, uh, I got to know uh, one of the pitchers 
it, uh, for that um, that year, um, Art Mahaffey, and who is still around, and he's uh, uh, sells insurance up in Allentown. But he uh, <clears throat> claims that uh, the uh, coach. Uh, I can't believe my mind just went on uh, who the who the manager was. Gene Mock. Gene Mock. Absolutely, you're right. But he said he burned him out. It ruined his career because when they started slipping away in '64, they started pitching him like every other day, and it just burned up his arm, and that was the end of his career. Mm. An infamous, infamous Phillies team uh, around the city because it, what was what was the lead that they had? Uh, going into the last couple weeks of the season they had over the Cardinals. It was at least a six-game lead, and they just slipped away, and it ended up – they ended up tied, and they went to a one-game playoff that they then lost to the Cardinals. But you- it was funny because even the commercials back then, they were so sure that the Phillies were going to make it. I still remember uh, the uh, beer commercial. They had a song about how the Phillies are going to the World Series, and uh, <laughs> it really – was so horrible <laughs> that was absolutely a heartbreaker 12 games left six and a half game lead yeah. and uh and they and they blow it yep that's when they were talking about uh the phillies moving their entire franchise to the philippines <laughs> yeah they were going to change their name to the manila folders Oh, that's so good. I mean, I think that's part of the reason, though, that that you know maybe he doesn't Dick Allen doesn't get the respect he deserves, though, because you know he just didn't play in the playoffs that often, right? Like no. he he had the you know the chance to play in the playoffs early in his career and ended up not playing out, and then he makes that he has the just the one NLCS in 1976, the only yeah. appearance of his career, and so it's just. And it's tough for him to, you know, play on the national stage, especially in an era where there's not, you know, a bunch of baseball games on TV all the time. You don't get that kind of exposure unless you play in the World Series. But he was – he had so – you know, he used to wear a batting helmet when he'd go out when he was playing first base because fans would throw things at him. I mean, he was a, a, a different kind of person uh, then that yeah, – I mean, today he'd be no big deal. But back then – uh, he used to chain smoke cigarettes in the dugout. Uh, he was a very, very heavy drinker. Uh, he had, and he had a big afro back in the days when that was not, you know, most baseball players were clean cut, whatever. And he just called it like he saw it. Matter of fact, uh, Frank, was it, uh, I'm trying to remember whether it was who it was. He had a fist fight. The, the Philly, a fellow Phillies player hit him with a bat. And uh, they they went into a, a knockdown, drag out fist fight. One of the first black Phillies. Yeah, he was. Um, in fact, it's sad to say, I believe the Phillies were the last team in baseball to ever have a black player. And uh, and he was proud of himself and proud of who he was. And unfortunately, back in those days, that got a lot of blowback. Uh, it was very difficult for him. And that's why I have so much respect for the man. And I would just love to see uh, at least maybe that stat that Jacob came up with. Maybe that'll be enough to get him over the top. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it should. He missed on the last Veterans Committee vote that he was eligible for by one vote. So yeah, I think I the Veterans Committee cycle is coming back around soon. And we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens to him. 
because you know obviously it'd be good to see him in the Hall of Fame. He didn't get a ton of support from the writers. Uh, he never got above like seventeen percent uh, from the writers. So that's kind of interesting to think about. Well, he didn't like to talk to the press. I mean, he was very uh, uh, difficult to deal with. I mean, that was the problem. But uh, but I know I still know some players very well that played with him, and I am telling them about your podcast. And I'm going to see that they can get the word to him to tune this in and know, hopefully, that you're rooting for him to get in. Exactly. Hmm. Um, so one of the things you mentioned, the stat that I brought up, and I'm now going to go on one of my, my, my brief tangents. Um, I was looking at the names above uh, Dick Allen in terms of OPS uh, plus leaders, right? Because there's only 15 people above him. So it's a lot of all-time greats. Barry Bonds, uh, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, all-time greats. And there was one name that jumped out to me as not an all-time great, and that is the name Dave Orr. And I was like, I wonder who this Dave Orr guy is who put up a, a career 162 OPS plus. How have I never heard of him? Often the answer is they played in the 1800s. That is the answer with Dave Orr, who played from 1883 to 1890. See, even I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember let's, where I was then either. Let's just say Dave Orr is an interesting guy. He played for, for New York. He played in New York. And the thing about Dave Orr is that he was 5'11", 250, which is really quite a Oh, man. my God. <laughs> I mean, if you look at his picture, like I saw his picture and I was like, that guy looks fat. And then I saw that he was 5'11", 250. And you know I was what? Like, oh, wow. Somehow, 31 triples in 1886. I don't know how he did that. That, that's got to be a sight to see that guy legging out a triple. Well, can you imagine the ads you could put on his jersey? Holy oh, Lord. yeah. <laughs> you could do billboards. <laughs> they, they wrote a song about him uh, that was published in Sporting Life magazine. And the chorus of the song goes, Oh, Dave Columbus, you've got our Dave. You've got a jewel with immense worth is as great as his girth. And may his shadow know no waste and remain as great as his waste. Wherever you are, success attend you, Dave. Mm. And mm. that was the Dave Orr song uh, that was wow. by the Sporting Life magazine. Um, <laughs> what a That's special. funny. That's the thing I love so much about doing you know, this whole podcast is just, you know, you start one place, you know, with, with Dick Allen. You hear all these great stories about his career. And somehow you find your way to the 250-pound first baseman, Dave Orr. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's shocking that there – I mean, there have been a lot of Hall of Fame wrongs righted by the Veterans Committee, you know, whether it's Jack Morris or Alan Trammell. But, like, Dick Allen seems like he would be a shoo-in for that. You're talking about a 912 OPS through the heart of – the second dead ball era. You, you, he's got a lot of black ink. He's, he leads the league in OBP multiple years, slugging percentage multiple years, OPS multiple years. Uh, he's leading the league in RBIs and home runs. Yeah. He triples his rookie year, total bases. Um, he makes, what, seven all-star games, MVP votes in seven different years, including three top seven finishes, including one year where he won the MVP. I don't know whether it's a thing where he played for a few different teams and the team that he played most for 
was particularly inhospitable, whether it was a thing of some inherent racism from the press, whether it was uh, played for a little while, but a career probably shortened by the hardships he had to face, you know, uh, in terms of facing the fans and the discrimination that he had to uh, endure, uh, probably shortening his career in the long term. But I mean, he, he are, like Jacob said, he accrued 59 career B-war. I don't know how he's been ignored for so long. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me. It really is. Because I love the guy. I mean, as I said, there were problems. And then, you know, he, when he changed his name from Richie to Dick Allen, it was said that he did that because some of the things he did that people didn't like, the drinking, the smoking, the whatever, uh, that he was going to change that to come back to the Phillies. And, and now he was going to be Dick Allen, not Richie Allen. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that uh, what happened. He had a great, some great years with the White Sox. And, uh, but then finished up with the Phillies. And I hope that I, I assume that if he does make the haul, he'll go in as a Philly. And it would be my treat to have you guys go up there with me. We drag Harold Baines to the mud a lot as kind of just being the example now of a guy who just doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But as a wrong righted by the Veterans Committee, I mean, the fact that they inducted Harold Baines and won't induct Dick Allen is, is unbelievable. Because Harold Baines is a 121 career OPS plus, which makes him 142nd all time. And the guy who was 15th on the list, and they basically have the same numbers across the board. Very similar. Baines played for a few more years, but it's very similar home run totals. Very similar RBI totals. Allen has double the war. Uh, we don't even get into that. But, but the fact that those two guys can be compared, and Allen is just so much better than him. And, yeah. and Baines is a guy who can get in, and Allen is a guy who can't. It's just stunning to me. And one of the arguments that Tony Larusa made when he was talking about how he inducted Harold Baines into the Hall of Fame, which was the stupidest comment ever, is like Harold Baines was clutch. He led the league in game-winning hits. He led the league in walk-off hits. Well, I just found a stat that Dick Allen, that he is 10th all-time in walk-off home runs. He's a clutch player, too. He's, you know, he's got all the stuff you're looking for. I'm telling you, you got to be. I mean, you, you're sold me. I've already was sold. That was excellent. Hall of Fame statistics are, are kind of hit or miss because a lot of times, and I know I definitely do this, is like you, like you cherry-pick some of the Hall of Fame statistics to, to prove your point. Like, oh, look at his Hall of Fame monitor. Like, uh, all these different statistics that are created by, by different baseball writers. Right. I might say, oh, look at his jaws, whereas or look at his peak war, whereas like his black ink is lacking. But you look at everything, black ink, uh, you know, leading the league and things, gray ink, like being top five or top ten, Hall of Fame monitor and Hall of Fame standards. I'm not quite sure what to describe those, but pretty much like if a Hall of Famer reaches 100 on a Hall of Fame monitor, they're probably going to make the Hall of Fame. And like Jaws and Peak War, you look at every single statistic that writers have created to judge whether or not someone is a Hall of Famer. In every single one of those, Dick Allen is either exactly on it, a decent amount above it, or in a reasonable range. Like there's only really one or two of those statistics where he's below the standard by a decent amount and it's still in like a negotiable range and everything else is right on par 
or far exceeding what you would need. What about your famous uh, vest player, Bill Mazeroski? Now, is he not in the Hall of Fame? He is in the Hall of Fame. People like yeah, to talk I mean, about his hands, about his hands at second base turning double plays, but he was a non-factor on offense. And I know. He was a pretty good defensive, defensive player, really. He wasn't like Ozzie Smith level. I mean, yeah. one home run put him in the Hall of Fame. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a sad commentary. I mean, there's just so much there. The race element, the, and just everything about it. He's just a monumental figure in Philadelphia sports. And, and, you know, growing up as a Philadelphia Phillies fan, you hear about him all the time as, you know, in the same yeah. echelon with all the other Phillies greats. And so it's just kind of shocking that he hasn't gotten his due yet. And I would like to think that it's coming soon. Well, I hope so, too. Maybe if he wore a, a, a vest jersey like Mazeroski, he would have been in already. Yep. <laughs> He's on the wrong end of the match. Yeah, that's the problem. There's every indication that if he had, was afforded some of the luxuries of other players or, you know, had an easier go of it off the field in MLB, you know, was able to pad some of his yeah. owning stats at the, at the end of his career um, and stick around a little longer, you could easily see him racking up 70 wins above replacement. He already reached the 1,000 RBI mark, but, you know, he could far exceed that. He could get to 2,000 hits. He could get to 400 home runs. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a tough sell to induct someone into the Hall of Fame who has less than 2,000 hits and less than 400 home runs, who's known primarily as a slugger, right? If you're going to sell the slugger mold, you got to sell that with some numbers to back it up. And I think he has those numbers year to year, especially when contextualized for the era he's playing in. I have no doubt in my mind he played in a more offensive-friendly era. He's over 400 home runs. He's over 2,000 hits. He's got all those things. And I think OPS Plus bears that out. But it's just a tougher sell when he's going up against other players with better counting stats. It's just a, it's an interesting and kind of fickle situation for him to be in because he's so clearly getting devalued or ignored by writers. But during his time, they were voting for him for MVP, right? They were voting for him for Rookie of the Year. Yeah. You hear countless stories about, about fans being hostile towards him. But I also hear a lot of people like yourself, Gary, and, and uh, like others who grew up watching the Phillies in the 60s, and he was one of, if not their favorite player. And you also hear about, and like he was voted to the All-Star game a bunch of times. So all those, all those different things apply to him. And it's not, it's not just one thing. It's just a kind of frustrating combination. It just comes out to the fact that it's baffling that he's not in the hall already. Yes, but he's been canonized. So at exactly. least it's not a total loss. 